Blog Talk Radio. BDPAI Radio showcases IT entrepreneurs, technology experts, and computer science academics. We highlight people with a passion for educating our youth in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. BDPAI Radio Show serves the BDPA members, sponsors, entrepreneurs, educational institutions, and the black community. BDPA iRadio, linking business, education, and technology. Well, welcome to the BDPA iRadio show. I'm Fran McNeil, and tonight is Tuesday, December 8, 2015. And our guests on this special show are Lee Reed III, consultant with Deloitte, Candy Castleberry Singleton, founder and chair of Dignity and Respect Campaign, and our final guest tonight is Stephanie Lampkin, Chief Executive Officer of Blendor. Our co-hosts this evening are Tim Buds, Jayla Cruz, and Ron Story. Our studio engineer is Everaldo Gallimore. So, Tim, let's get started with our first interview with Lee Reed III, consultant with Deloitte. Thank you, Fran. Good evening, BDPA residents and friends and listeners. We are tonight privileged to have a conversation with Lou Reed. Lou, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm doing great, Tom. Uh, it's been a pretty crazy start to the week, uh, but happy to be here um, here today on the show. Well, tremendous. We're very happy to have you. Now, if you'll allow me, I'm going to introduce the audience to you, then we're going to dive into the meat and potatoes of our conversation. Sounds good. Audience? Okay. Hey, audience. BDPA audience, welcome and introducing you to Lou, I'm sorry, to Lee Reed. I'm going to say Lou Reed. See that? Because you had that <laughs> voice, man. <laughs> it's common. Mr. Reed. <laughs> common mistake. <laughs> Mr. Reed is one of the most remarkable young men in BDPA history. That's right, in BDPA history. He is a five-time participant in the National HSCC Championships. His team won the championship in 2006. In his career, he has earned the Bank of America Scholarship for BDPA students, the Jesse Bimley Scholarship, as well as the Eli Lilly Scholarship for BDPA students, each administered by BETF. Next year, we celebrate the 10-year anniversary of his HSCC championship. Lee graduated with honors from University of Michigan. He now works for BDPA sponsor Deloitte in Los Angeles, California. BDPAI radio listeners, let's enjoy having a conversation and listening to how he has been impacted by BDPA over the years and how his college and career choices have been influenced and where he plans to go next. Welcome, Mr. Reed. Uh, thank you, Tim, for that uh, great introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. So we always like to get acquainted and find out what was the initial thing that attracted you to BDPA? How did you find out about it to involved with BDPA? Uh, yeah, so for me, I found out about BDPA at a pretty early age. So actually my uh, dad, actually father, worked um, in the IT industry, was a member of BDPA. And at the time, I guess this would have been hmm, uh, about 10 years ago, um, there was discussions about the high school computer club. And I actually started off as a member of the club in seventh grade and eventually transitioned to the team um, from eighth grade to senior year of high school and have been pr pretty much hooked in terms of technology, but then also staying involved in the organization ever since. Excellent. So your interest in this field came from what was going on at home as well as at school, and now it's actually cultivated into a true career. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, uh, especially at that age, it was uh, like any other kid. I, you know, I played a lot of video games, and at one point I said, oh, I want to be a video game designer. And BDPA basically ex exposed me to, yeah, video games, that's one path you can take, but there's a lot more uh, avenues that you can use in order to, um, from a technology standpoint. So from on the competition team, learning how to 
to web development, being exposed to mobile technologies, being exposed to a number of different uh, senior IT professionals at the conference every year, and then also our coaches as well, uh, sort of opened my eyes to the uh, opportunities created by technology and led me to uh, majoring in computer science at Michigan. Okay. So that answers part of my next question. In terms of your service and your work with BDPA, what types of things have happened and what accomplishments are you most proud of? Uh, to be honest, I think one of the – I mean, BDPA does a – as an organization nationally, I'm sure you know and everyone listening, our, most of our listeners know, um, a number of uh, opportunities, a number of experiences within BDPA. But I think for me personally, the relationship, uh, the relationships I formed and the experiences I had um, at an early age in high school on the computer team and being able to contribute uh, to the Chicago chapter uh, for those five years, I would say is my proudest accomplishment, probably not just within BDPA, but then also generally as well. And that really helps set the foundation for a lot of what I do at Deloitte and then a lot of what I'm planning on doing uh, with my career um, and so forth. So when you say that that's part of your proudest accomplishment, would you say part of who you are was kind of shaped because of the work you were doing and the hobbies that you had at that time and then through today? Uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> looking back and you sort of, you know, you look at, you know, a few years later and looking at sort of your growth at that time. So if you look at right. myself when I entered at that age as an eighth grader, you know, I was very eager, very excited, um, was passionate about technology, but then beyond just the technology hard skills, what I learned from BDPA was really how to work in a team, how to uh, communicate effectively, what to do if things do go wrong in a project situation, how to have the confidence in order to project your opinions to uh, a room of folks like yourself who are uh, IT professionals when maybe you may not know quite as much um, those, the life learning from the coaches as well, are really helped shape me um, at an early age and are still lessons that I take with me um, every day. That's tremendous. I like your approach to IT, just the way you're conversing about it, because it sounds very natural. And in terms of what you just shared with us, how you converse about what you know about IT, being able to be trilingual and take uh -huh. the rudimentary pieces of IT, so that anyone who's interacting with you can understand the concepts. And I, can, I must say, you are able to do it quite well. I can just tell from this brief conversation. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And, yeah, and that's very important just hearing about, especially now in my career now at Deloitte, uh, like you said, I'm currently working in consulting and typically on the different engagements and projects I'm involved in. You're working with a number of different folks. You may be working with a senior Java developer. You may be working with policy analysts, business experts, different SMEs from all different domains. And having that skill set that you get from going through those programs, MBDPA, and through the whole experience of being able to communicate effectively and tailoring your message depending on your audience uh, is definitely a transferable skill. Absolutely, absolutely transferable. Well, you've begun to touch on the next thing I want to chat about, your current work, your current role, some of the things you're doing in life and your work and your responsibilities. How do they all intersect? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a difficult question, but let me, uh, let me take a first cut at that. So in terms of work, uh, since graduating from Michigan, like I said, I've always been, starting with BDPA, I've always been passionate for technology, but also passionate about the business side as well. So started my career at Deloitte, uh, primarily working in their technology consulting practice. Uh, I would say over the past four years have been primarily focused in the healthcare space. So working with states such as the state of Michigan, the state of Alaska, um, now I'm in the state of Oregon in order to roll out their um, systems when it comes to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Yeah. So, in response to all those health care regulations, what 
uh, as a state do we need to do in order to ensure that folks get medical coverage? So worked in a number of different cross-functional roles there from product development, business analysis, all throughout the software development life cycle, essentially. Um, Excellent. Outside of, yeah, and outside of that, I've been, with BD, from a BDPA standpoint, one of the things that uh, BDPA exposed me to, like I said before, is really the mentorship aspect and the education aspect and how can we use technology to, um, you know, take folks from the classroom to the boardroom or from the classroom to college in some cases. So I've been working a lot in um, a number of different education arenas in the L.A. area as well, locally. That's tremendous. The way you're communicating and conversing about the topics, the subject matter, the SMEs that you've interacted with, I must say, you, you say that you were in eighth grade a mere 10 years ago, but yet you sound like a polished person within the IT environment. So, again, kudos to you. And I can definitely say, I'm, I'm serious, I can definitely say that uh, the expertise that you've garnered and uh, have done in the IT arena must be doing great things. You mentioned, uh, for example, IT within healthcare. Now, that happens to be something that I do professionally as well. Share a little bit more about that with our audience, where the intersection might lie between healthcare and IT and consulting. Yeah, definitely. So there's, uh, especially now, from a policy standpoint, from a technology standpoint, healthcare and really the intersection of technology um, is a very exciting space. So there's a lot of change uh, happening, first from a healthcare standpoint, from a policy standpoint, like I said before, in terms of the Affordable Care Act and uh, folks now being able to have access to Medicaid coverage and things of that sort. So that's been sort of my, hmm, I guess, my core focus at uh, Deloitte is developing systems so that we can actually deliver those services to citizens. So, for example, in the state of Michigan, we have about 2 million folks on Medicaid coverage, and how do we effectively determine who's actually eligible and who can, um, and whether or not they're actually receiving benefits. So lots of things on the policy side. From a technology side, you're looking at really around, you know, I'll throw out a couple of buzzwords, big data analytics and seeing how you can use analytics and, uh, and technology from a consumer standpoint to really empower the consumer uh, so that they're more aware of their medical history and sort of have that holistic understanding of what may be the best treatment for them in their particular case. Um, so lots of, like I said, lots of movement. Uh, can can talk a lot more about that one. Oh, sure, sure. Well, it's it's very clear that you know the uh, the realm quite well. I've been a senior project manager and a PMO leader within that space, uh, having worked for Booz Allen, but then having my own consulting company in healthcare IT. So mm -hmm. I will definitely connect with you on offline via LinkedIn, and then we can have some other conversations. Sorry, audience, you won't be privy to those conversations when we go off and make <laughs> our hundreds of dollars. But this will be a good conversation. Um, so it's clear to me that you are passionate about the work you're doing. It's clear to me that you've learned quite a bit in your foundation from IT, having been supported by the BDPA experience and your HSCC challenges and, and the competitions early on. Uh -huh. this, being the case, this being the case, what types of nuggets of wisdom might you offer out to students, to other individuals who might be thinking about mentoring or might be getting mentored within IT? Yeah, that's um, a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll share one lesson that I sort of, that I learned through BDPA as a member. And one thing I mentioned before is confidence. And I think that especially when you're as a student, and this message is directed to students, a lot of times if you're if you're choosing to major in something technical, engineering, computer science, econ, whatever it is, if you're majoring in one of these fields, when you're arriving in the classroom, you may, <laughs> you may not see as many people who have share your exact background and your exact experience. Um, the one message I would have is to really, like you said, reach out. Um, there are 
reach out to organizations and folks within BDPA who can really serve as your mentors along your, your along the way, your support system. I would say even after I uh, graduated from high school and I was technically an alumnus of the high school computer competition team, I still reach out to folks from the Chicago chapter when it came to first as a student when it came to, oh, well, what kind of classes should I take? Or, hey, do you have any resources or references I can leverage for uh, SQL or database management or things of that sort? So uh, these folks are here for you. It's not, just, it's not just meant for the computer competition team, but they're really here for you um, in the long run as well and have a vested interest in your success. So really taking advantage of, first, the BDPA networks. Uh, the second uh, piece of it, I guess, nuggets of wisdom <laughs> that I would offer would be is to, right now there's a lot of opportunities, one within BDPA to learn more about technology, but there's also a lot of free courses online. So if you look at the, um, if you look up MOOC or massively, I forgot, open online courses, or I think that's the acronym. I can't remember the exact acronym, but Right now, yeah. there is a number of different courses that you can take on some of these latest trends. So some of the ones we mentioned, whether it's cloud computing, big data, uh, looking into Hadoop softwares underneath that, whatever you're interested in, there's resources out there. So, uh, And most of them are free. <laughs> um, uh, so taking the time, taking advantage of those will, one, serve you better in terms of being able to pivot into whatever your interests are, whether it's healthcare whether it's something completely different from healthcare, or maybe it's something that you're thinking that's brand new, but really taking advantage of those resources, resources and then also the folks uh, in the BDPA network as well uh, to learn more about the areas that you're interested in. Understood. Excellent. Well put. Now, as you've gone on with your career and you've been balancing transitioning from school into a career, how did you decide to go into consulting versus, hey, I want to be an employee in a typical line or staff management type role, but you hmm. had that IT background. How, what does that look like? Yeah, so I think uh, there's, there's a lot of different paths. For me, uh, what I learned from my experiences at Michigan and then also in high school through BDPA was that I really enjoyed learning from a diverse array of experiences. So the one thing I really like about consulting in particular is that it's always a constantly changing environment. You're constantly working with different clients, and therefore you're always learning, which from a technology standpoint, uh, given the pace of change, is something that's almost invaluable. Um, uh, not saying I want to do consulting forever. Like I said, there's the travel side as well, which is both good and bad. So um, right, right. Uh, definitely uh, spent a year traveling to Alaska, which uh, if you want to have conversations about Alaska, if anyone's going about places to go or uh, things to try, happy to talk about that as well. But uh, definitely <laughs> a balancing act. Excellent. That is tremendous. Now, I've got to transition the focus over to more of a, um, I guess I'll put it in terms of lessons learned, and then what can you tell, you talked about something to tell the students, what can you tell our general BDPA audience, something we don't know about you that can be a nugget of wisdom as they move forward in their IT education and their life's journey? Uh, yeah, sure, Tim. So I would say um, one thing that I learned, which I'm not sure is IT specific, um, well, one thing I really struggled with uh, starting my career in IT, so maybe this is more so to, for the folks early in IT, is that there's, when you get on these engagements or you're working on a project, regardless of if it's a entrepreneurship pursuit or perhaps you're working for a large company or a small company, there's Yep. At, at a certain point, you're going to be in a situation where there's so many parallel threads around you and you're trying to coordinate and you're trying to manage all of those threads at once. And yep. the thing that I had to learn, which was a huge lesson for me personally, was uh, being okay with not knowing. <laughs> so I had to learn <laughs> I had to learn to not learn. Uh, so 
like okay. I said before, uh, being selective, but then also being having the confidence not just in yourself, but then also in your team members around you. Uh, for them to execute on their task and to execute on the overall plan, that vision that you're all marching towards. And that's okay. going to be the only way to be successful, right? Because, like I said, especially early on in your career, there's so many different – there's an ocean of knowledge and an ocean of different things going on. And it's yep. very easy to, you know, almost drown yourself if you're trying to swim it by yourself. Um, so really, really focusing on that. Um Really, you know, you can carve out your brand, your reputation, your what you're known for, um, but uh, really focusing on how can you not only develop your personal brand, but then also realize the brand of the folks around you that you can use to uh, bring that mission or vision forward. That is a tremendous way to wrap up our conversation. Great lessons learned, great nuggets of wisdom, and also a great track record of success through your education, your experiences within BDPA, and now as a consultant. And I really congratulate you. We congratulate you. And we're certainly going to go back and listen to this blog talk so that we can all learn from it. And we're certainly going to indulge in the next couple of conversations here on the station. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight. And I will reach out and connect with you. Thank you, BDPA radio audience. And we're going to transition now to our word from our sponsor. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. BDPA is the premier organization for people of African-American descent in the information technology industry. BDPA exists to advance the careers of African-Americans in the IT industry from the classroom to the boardroom. You can find BDPA on group site, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, welcome back to BDPI Radio. Our next guest is Candy Castleberry Singleton. Candy, how are you this evening? I am very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. And you're calling in from Pittsburgh tonight, is that correct? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, okay, don't start anything now. <laughs> okay. Well, well, welcome. I am sitting in Philadelphia, so we uh, kind of anchor the state of Pennsylvania east and west. It really is a pleasure to have you here. And I'd like to share a little bit of your background with our listening audience before we dive into um, the interview. Candy Castleberry Singleton is leaving her executive career with Pittsburgh-based UPMC to fully engage with the civic and social organization that she founded, Dignity and Respect Campaign. The mission of Dignity and Respect Campaign is to make our world a better place for all to live with all of our differences. Candy encourages individuals, organizations, communities, schools, youth programs, and sports teams to treat each other with dignity and respect. Candy, I know that there's a lot more that I could share, and I am actually, within the interview, going to give you a chance to tell us more about your organization, about your career with UPMC, and also about your 30 tips of dignity and respect, simple acts that each of us can practice in our daily interactions with each other. So before we get started, I'd love for you to kind of connect us back to your personal history with BDPA and how you got involved. Well, my involvement with BDPA actually began in my technology days. So my career actually was started in California, and I worked with Xerox for 12 years in the days of uh, data processing, as we called it in those days. Uh, I started my career uh, at some microsystem in sales and marketing, um, and my background was primarily sales until I went to uh, some microsystems where I became the person responsible for diversity in technology. I think it was my first exposure to BDPA, and it was actually probably um, the eye-opening um, experience was really thinking about how technology not just influenced um, 
the way that we work, but how we would work. And when you think about sort of years later, nearly 15, 20 years later, and you think about how technology converges from those early days of, you know, the first mobile phones to mobile phones doing all kinds of things, including listening to the radio um, or right. uh, email, all those things that uh, it, it didn't do in those days. I think watching the evolution of technology and the convergence uh, only, I think, puts emphasis on the need for organizations like BDPA um, and also the need for organizations like corporations to partner with BDPA to think about um, how those partnerships can ensure that as the world changes, that they are including diverse talent uh, as well as they're considering the diverse needs of people who use technology. Mm. I like that phrase as the world changes. Um, The world is becoming smaller. Um, And I, I guess I'd like to go back to your experience with UPMC. How did that, your experience with technology and your experience in corporate America um, influence the perspective that you have now? Well, so I started uh, at some microsystems doing diversity. I left there, went to Motorola and did diversity, and more recently uh, was with uh, UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, uh, leading diversity. I, I think that technology obviously is threaded through all of those organizations, but as the earlier um, speakers suggested, I think that we often don't think about how technology not only influences healthcare and the way that we access healthcare, um, but I think that technology will actually replace the way that we think about healthcare going forward. Um, when I think about diversity in healthcare and technology, I think that we often think about the systems and who builds them. Uh, and my role was actually to think about how people use them. So if you think uh, that there is a digital divide or if you believe that there ever was or there still is, you think about putting technology as the interface to healthcare, whether that's making your doctor's appointment, whether that's ordering prescriptions, uh, whether that is uh, you have enough bandwidth to have uh, an e-visit where you're actually seeing a physician on uh, your television screen, uh, all of these things, I think we think of technology as people who build it. And in my role as chief diversity officer, I think about technology as the people who use it and who is going to have access to it, right, being sort of the benefactors of new technology and how sort of this digital divide is actually going to create greater health disparities if we don't sort of think about that in the build of the product. Because most of the time when these technologies or tools come out, whether they're on a mobile or whether they're actually online tools you use on a computer, there is a generation of people who are very comfortable with it. There are people who are not comfortable with it, and not from the use of technology, but in some cases the information that they have to put into the system to access the technology. So mm. I think that this health, this health conversation that started uh, with the previous uh, conversation is actually one that we don't speak enough about. I think we talk about technology from the perspective, as I said, of people who are employed developing technology. We don't talk enough about how we're actually creating technology to ensure access to all people. And that ultimately, I believe, is one of the next big diversity challenges in healthcare. Uh, beyond that, of still, still building a pipeline of STEM uh, students, obviously, uh, and leaders of all levels to go back to your own model of ensuring that you have, um, you know, from the classroom to the boardroom, that is one challenge that still exists, obviously, in this nation. Uh, but it also, I think, is missing a, a conversation that isn't happening enough about once this technology is built and the way that it's been, being built is it actually going to enhance access or is it going to create greater disparities between the way that uh, people access health care or, for that matter, whether it's banking, uh, whether it's shopping online, all of these things that require uh, technology uh, are conversations that we don't have very much of in the traditional conversation of diversity. Right. So I'm I'm hearing you really reference um, culture, uh, the way we interact with each other, the way that we live, um, the, way, the way that we grow our communities, the way that we build wealth and pass on wealth. 
um, so access in, in a Absolutely. lot of different ways. I definitely think of technology as how we live, how we get work done, how we communicate with others, and how we access the things that we actually want to use or that we need to use, and whether that is uh, shopping tools or whether that is banking tools, whether that is uh, health care, uh, that's probably, as I suggested, isn't something we talk about as much. We actually talk about it mm-hmm. from the perspective of people and hiring and making sure that we're involved in it. But I also think it's equally as important for the people who we hire to have access to understanding of how to build products for diverse communities, how to respect the differences in those diverse communities so that the product, when it is developed, whether it's uh, hardware or software, actually reaches a, a diverse audience. Well, that's a that's a wonderful segue into literally the name of your organization. Um, tell us about your organization, um, what the goal is, and what you're doing right now to get your message out. So it starts with the premise that, you know, when we ask people, and no matter what audience, no matter what age, no matter what demographic to raise their hand, if they believe that they deserve dignity and respect, everyone raises their hand. Then we ask the second question to raise your hand if you treat everyone with dignity and respect. And I say don't look around because some of you know each other and you know whether the answer is true. And there's always somebody in the room looking around saying, I know she or he is not raising their hand. In fact, I imagine there may be some listeners <laughs> right now who might have a little giggle about that. Well, our goal really of the campaign is sits really in between I want it and I do it to provide educational tools and training, resources, and programs to help us to be more consistent about wanting it and doing it because the only way that it happens is if we do it. Wanting it isn't enough, and wanting it for yourself but not being willing to give it to someone else actually isn't enough. So we actually teach people how to address what we call filters, and filters is sort of a a nice way of saying we all have some kind of a filter about how we see the world, how we see others, uh, how we view names on a resume, how we view zip codes on a resume, um, how we view uh, where people went to school, and all of those things that become filters that sometimes become barriers to access, primarily for people of color, uh, women, uh, and or people who are outside of the geographic region of a headquarter location. So from a day-to-day corporate perspective, we help people to acknowledge that they do have filters and our training and tools actually help them to sort of navigate through uh, how they can actually develop a new perspective of the very thing that they've sort of thought in the, in the prior to, obviously, our training. Uh, I also think that, you know, it's not just about training. It's about uh, simple little things like people being willing to make a new friend to develop a new perspective. So, it may not be the best idea to send an executive who isn't comfortable talking about their subject matter expertise, whether it's the cloud, right, or whether it is um, something to do with healthcare technology. Earlier, the uh, speaker was talking about, you know, Obamacare and access, right? So it, whatever your subject matter expertise is, if you're not comfortable having that conversation in the general population, it's probably not the best idea to send you to the most diverse population ever and expect you to be successful and comfortable in doing that. So we, to some degree, suggest that, you know, if you're going to go to a technology conference in general, that that's the first place you should try to make a new friend because an opportunity for you to actually have a dialogue with a, on the subject matter that you're already comfortable with before I immerse you into sort of a, a diverse audience primarily and you become the minority. It's probably not always the most productive or comfortable environment to put people in. So it's kind of showing them how to take baby steps towards getting to the place where when they are put in an environment where they in some cases may be the minority, that they actually feel comfortable with it. So we teach people how, how to do that as well. I also think that it goes both ways, right? And so I think sometimes we think about the challenge of making new friends um, as one that might be, you know, uh, a demographic, maybe race or maybe even faith. But our big challenge actually is generational because if a person is 20, 40, 60, or 80, I'll just use those as random numbers, you pick any topic related to diversity or, in that matter, technology, right? Uh, when I was an EECS major at Berkeley many, many years ago before I decided I was going to go into legal studies, 
I programmed in Fortran and C++ and Pascal, and quite honestly, when I say mm-hmm. those things to people today, they go, well, wow, how old are you? Like, that stuff doesn't even <laughs> exist anymore, right? And we right, thought that right. was cool technology at the time that we were doing it. So when you start mm-hmm. to think about even having the ability to cross-generational conversations around technology and whether it's my ability to use it, to understand it, to access it, it's equally as important to be able to have that dialogue in the workplace across multiple generations because, you know, what's new today won't be new in 20 years, right? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's important for us to respect that demographic difference about about generation as well. So we help people, right, to learn, to work, to live and to play um, in a world where people are different and to do that in a way that makes people after their experience or interaction with you or me or others that they feel that they were respected in spite of their difference. Mm. Candy, very, very powerful. I know that in the introduction I shared that you have 30 tips of dignity and respect. How can people learn more about your services, those 30 tips, and maybe follow you on Twitter? So uh, I am CC Singleton uh, at CC Singleton on Twitter. Um, the dignity and respect.org is our website. Uh, we are actually going through a relaunch. So the campaign actually was created at UPMC as an initiative to help our own employees. And we had enough interest from people over the last several years uh, that uh, we decided to create a consulting practice internally. And uh, I have the privilege of taking that consulting practice outside of the organization and making it into its own entity. So we are actually in the period of transition where although we still offer services, we are actually going through a relaunch in January. On January 12th, we'll have a new look and feel. We'll have a number of new products. Uh, And it also gives us an opportunity to, uh, to do some things that are a little bit more customized because as a separate entity, we serve multiple industries. And although we did serve multiple industries before, our sort of primary funder was healthcare. So uh, we did have a little bit of a hint towards that. But we've worked with industries from retail to manufacturing, nonprofits, local, state government. So uh, we have a, a great deal of experience in sort of having this conversation uh, with executives to frontline staff. And I think it is also an opportunity for us to sort of do the small things. So people can go to the website and download the 30 tips, uh, which are the easiest things to do. We ask people what happens in an environment uh, when you're treated with dignity and respect. And uh, through these 30 focus groups, we came up with these 30 tips. And the 30 tips are things we know how to do, smile, listen, say hello, demonstrate mutual respect, things that we teach young people to do every day, sometimes our very own children. And yet at some point in our lives, we – uh, forget to practice that, you know, in our daily daily interactions with others from the way that we interact with customers, consumers, or the way we're treating uh, customers or consumers or, in that matter, uh, for that matter, patients. So uh, the 30 tips are downloadable on the website for free. You can download it and spread the word. You can tweet about it. You can find us on Facebook, a Dignity and Respect campaign. Um, and it's been a fun experience. Uh, I would say that most often when people interact with the campaign that they feel empowered to make the world a better place versus feeling a little bit, you know, beat up sometimes from what sometimes feels like a rhetorical conversation or, you know, repetitive conversation around traditional diversity and inclusion. Well, Candy, I hear the passion. I'm really very pleased that you took some time out of your evening to share your perspective, to give us a glimpse into your journey. And I thank you again for being a guest on our show. Look forward to having you back at another time. We're now going to just take a brief break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will turn the mic over to Ron Story, who will interview our third and final guest. Thank you very much. The BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, a nonprofit organization that exists for the sole purpose of funding BDPA programs, scholarships, and services around the nation. Follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash BDPA Foundation, or Twitter, www.twitter.com forward slash BDPA.
hostess. Hi, good evening. This is Ronald Story, and we have with us this evening Stephanie Lampkin. Stephanie, how are you? Hello. And then you are calling in from what part of the country? I am currently in Breckenridge, Colorado, but I reside in San Francisco. San Francisco, West Coast as well. Well, thank you for joining us with the BDPAI radio. What I like to do during our interview is to give a little bit about your background. And uh, is that okay? Absolutely. All righty. Stephanie Lampkin has a powerful BDPA legacy. In 2001, she was a member of the high school computer competition trained by BDPA Washington, D.C. chapter. She graduated from Stanford University in 2006 with a degree in management, science, and engineering. Her first full-time job was as a technology account manager for Microsoft. In 2011, she left Microsoft to pursue her master's degree, MIT. From that point, her entrepreneurial urge was strong. She founded Blendor, which created a mobile job matching application that helps connect tech companies to qualified women, veteran, and underrepresented minority candidates. She moved to the West Coast to be in the Silicon Valley. She has seen a whirlwind crowdfunding tour and successfully won investment dollars from a variety of sources. BDPA iRadio show would love to hear about Stephanie's journey and her insights and wisdom for others who think about being an entrepreneur in the technology arena. So with that said, Stephanie, again, welcome to our show this evening. Thank you very much. I'm Thank very you very much. So what we'd like to do first is talk about a little bit about BDPA and how you um, became involved and also what has kept you involved with BDPA. Great question. So my auntie was a computer science major at University of Maryland College Park and became active in BDPA um, soon thereafter in the 90s. So I wanted to be a part of HSCC before I even qualified. Um, so around the time of 13 or 14, I see the opportunity to become part of the HSCC chapter. And it was really influential in my trajectory, not only from a technical perspective, but a general professional um, perspective, just seeing so many people that look like me in mm-hmm. these amazing roles and positions and companies. It was an exposure that I don't think I could have gotten anywhere else. Um, and, and seeing the commitment of the volunteers um, who are really commit, committed to this idea of closing the digital divide was very inspirational to me. So after Stanford, um, uh, as you mentioned, I, I worked at Microsoft. But while there, I became an HSCC coordinator for the Charlotte chapter because oh, I felt okay. a sense of responsibility to, to give back to an organization that was very influential in my development. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So you were influenced on the BDPA um, by a family member, as was one of our earlier guests this evening. He was in, he was um, influenced by his dad. So that, that's great, keeping that legacy moving within the family. And in turn, he was also inspired by the camaraderie and the professionalism within the uh, chapter in which he said in the um, University, not University of Maryland, but the uh, D.C. metro area. Um, we were involved in the Maryland Correct. chapter there. Okay. Uh, the DC um, and, and, chapter. We were we were right there on U Street. Okay, DC chapter. Great. Mm-hmm. And what I do love about what you shared is that you continued um, even after finishing school and and working in the uh, Charlotte chapter and becoming a leader with the HSCC chapter out of Charlotte. Uh, so that's great. And also involved in the give back. In terms of your service. What to BDPA, what accomplishment are you most proud of? In terms of my community service? Service to or through BDPA? Um, you know, I, 
That's that's a tough question to answer. There's a lot of things that I've been proud of in regards to my involvement, um, but I think it's yet to be seen exactly what um, if if anything tangible comes out of it. I mean, I've I mentored quite a few kids that are now in college, which has been great to see them develop. Um, the president of the BDPA DC chapter has made a lot of major connections for me. He actually facilitated um, me getting into the first ever White House Demo Day, uh, which was an amazing experience. Um, President Obama actually said during his speech at the Demo Day that the next Steve Jobs might be named Stephanie. <laughs> so that was uh, that was great. And, um, and now I'm actually talking with um, some people in the public sector through, uh, again, just networks and connections that I have through BDPA. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, there's just a lot of opportunities on the horizon, and we'll see how it all pans out. Oh, that's great. That's great. You, you, it sounds like you keep yourself active um, with with the chapter and, and, and on a national basis as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a network that I really value. Okay. Let's speak a little bit about uh, Blendor. What inspired Blendor? Ooh, quite a few things. Um, but the foundation of it is BDPA. I mean, this whole diversity in tech issue is nothing new, but now it's once again a hot topic. Um, and so I've seen the evolution of it, both as someone who grew up on the East Coast and someone who's been in Silicon Valley. Um, and they're quite varying perceptions. And it's, it's very interesting to listen to Candy talk about diversity is, from her perspective um, because I hear a lot of those uh, things. But for me, you know, having come from very humble beginnings, so, you know, my mom was actually homeless when she was pregnant with me. I was born on welfare. Um, I've never met my father. It was, you know, we actually moved in with my auntie, who, again, was the computer science major at, at College Park. Um, and so for me, you know, seeing how I was able to navigate all of these different challenges of being not only black but being a woman interested in tech um, and still hitting roadblocks even though I earned a Stanford and MIT degree, um, that kind of highlighted to me that, okay, this is not just a pipeline problem. There are a lot, of, there are a lot more factors. There's many, many different layers to it. Um, and I think a lot of the solutions that exist, whether it be, you know, a chief diversity officer or head of diversity recruiting, et cetera, I think they fail to realize the importance of capturing um, what appeals to the generation. So I can't mention this as well, the generation that exists now. And so that's why I decided on a mobile-first approach that mimics the user experience of Tinder. Tinder is a very popular dating app amongst millennials. Um, yep. So using data, leveraging data to not only connect recruiters with candidates, but also provide valuable services. So one of the things I'm also doing is based on a candidate's behavior on the app, so what sort of jobs they like, we'll be able to say, oh, we notice you like these past 100 jobs, but you're missing this core skill or this certification or this competency. Here's a class that you can take at General Assembly or online, as she mentioned, MLCs. Right? There's a ton of resources outside of post-secondary education that, um, millennials are much more drawn to, and I don't think we're capturing that with um, the existing tools that are out there. So I'm, I'm trying to bridge that gap. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting that you, you share that. Um, my expertise is in the HR arena um, with the technology background. And, um, and, and as you just shared, the ability to use a an, um, for the user, for one, to, to, to utilize an application to do a search. But what I like what you just shared, that you, that the power of the data that you collect in the app also assists the user in saying, hey, as you look at as you looked at these particular positions, you may need to look at the competencies in this particular area. And um, mm -hmm. from a career coaching perspective, I share that a lot with um, clients and with individuals in my talk. Um, and when you look at a position and, is it, you know, you build into your skill sets for what that job's asking for, um, what do you have, what matches up, and what's missing, 
then and then again, how do you speak to that? Speaking to your strengths and speaking to some of those challenges there. And it's it's really Yeah, and great. You know, absolutely. And for a lot of younger people, reading a job description, a technical job description in particular, is is sometimes mm-hmm. it's like Chinese, right? It's like, well, how do I acquire these skills? It's not as transparent as it once was. Um, and so I want to help facilitate not only the job matching, but also the career development. But again, you know, I, I, it's important that I position Blendor as a technology company. We're not just an HR-focused app. Like, we're using mm-hmm. data um, on the candidate side, but even on the recruiter side. So we're giving companies information about the ROI of their investments and doing HBCU college tours and, and partnering with BDPA and NSB and Society of Women Engineers. Um, we're mm-hmm. tracking all of those um, affiliations so that companies know, mm-hmm. oh, we have hired 10 people who have a BDPA affiliation. Therefore, we can justify mm-hmm. spending $100,000 um, for that organization's conference next year, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So so what do you find challenging on the recruiter side of uh, Blendor and, and designing those apps to, to meet those needs? So on the recruiter side, um, that's actually the easier part for us. The B2B side is really, really easy because they identify that they, they have a need for this. Um, the biggest mm-hmm. concern that I've heard expressed is getting the type of candidates that they have struggled Finding. And these are folks, these are not college students. These are folks that are um, five to 15 years out of undergrad. Um, they may or may not be technical, but they don't see themselves fitting in a Facebook or a Google or a Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I'm hoping to do is provide um, not just, again, not just a job matching service, but a, an employer marketing opportunity. So with Blendor, mm-hmm. Um, you'll not only see the job, but you'll see a company's diversity profile. So we'll show you, do they have any African-Americans or Latinos in leadership, and that being the board of directors or C-suite or EVP. Do they have um, ERGs? Do they do any sort of special um, recruiting or um, family-friendly services for their employees, et cetera, et cetera, in in hopes of uh, just Providing more information to, again, this demographic of people who are, you know, maybe they're in banking or consulting or et cetera and may not be aware of the opportunities that exist in tech company. Awesome. Awesome. That, that, that's, that's, that's so helpful, on, um, again, on both. I'm, I'm going to take a, a closer look at Blendor um, following our discussion because it's, it's, it's something, it's first I've heard of it. Um, but from an app, from a user, both from a, um, you know, on the recruitment side as well as career development uh, to be able to do so. And then just like you just mentioned, to look at some of the future possibilities of um, utilizing the information that, 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 that your organization will collect and, and, and make available uh, to, its, to its users and promoting it. Let me get a yeah. little personal. Tell us why you are passionate about technology and the access to technology? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, So, you know, technology is often touted as the great equalizer because no matter where you are, whether it be a village in Kenya or a high-rise in New York, you have access to the same resources. And I see the potential in that, but I also understand that there are certain factors that inhibit certain communities from taking advantage of those opportunities. So, you know, when BDPA started, it was focused on closing the digital divide, which was about the um, problem of um, underrepresented minorities accessing, getting access to the Internet. Now, underrepresented minorities are disproportionately higher users of mobile technology and commonly used apps like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, right? So... The digital divide is gone. We've, we've created a whole other divide, which is what I call the disruption divide, where we, mm. we have all of these people under 18 who are using these apps and making money for companies that have no minorities in executive leadership, and they don't even really care, right? They're just focused on their bottom line. But I, want, mm-hmm. I, I wish there was just a wake-up call to these kids of like, hey, you can build this. Don't just consume it. Build it. Um, 
And that's why I've been really passionate not only of, of getting folks in tech, but getting people to the valley. Um, it's it's almost like a new gold rush, but everyone is, you know, is is, is very comfortable, obviously, um, with, you know, with whatever areas they're in. But just in the, the 11 months that I've been back to San Francisco, um, yeah. I've been amazed at just how quickly things are happening. And we are not present. Um, San Francisco is currently 2% African-American. And a good majority of that are homeless people, right? So it's, a, it's a definitely an expensive place to be in, but I really wish that we could do more around um, getting people of color active in what's happening in Silicon Valley. Okay. So that's, that, that, that ties into the passion and then looking at that access. Um, you even touched upon an, an angle that I've been doing a little work around in the use of um, mobile technology around media literacy, uh, being able to educate, and as you mentioned, um, a wake-up call, or for, uh, you termed it as a disruptive, the disruption divide? Right, there are currently no black-founded companies that are worth a billion dollars or more, um, and specifically startup companies, let me, let me rephrase that. Um, there are about 110 um, a billion dollar tech startups Zero have a black founder, and that's real. Wow, <laughs> that's the disruption divide. Okay, okay, and then we could, if we had more time, we really can unpack that a little bit more. So we have about a minute left, and we're going to close this out. What two lessons would you like to share with our audience, the BDPA I Radio audience? Let me rephrase that again. What two lessons would you like to share in closing out? Um, so in closing, I would say number one is um, we naturally as a community have a, a risk aversion, right? So it's like, you know, get into a good school, get a good job, stay in that good job, and retire. But I think that mentality is preventing us from being disruptive. So whomever you have the ability, if you can't do it yourself, if you can just sponsor a promising minority entrepreneur, do it because if we're ever going to be taken seriously in this space, we have to be disruptive. We have to create technologies that change the world. We need a Facebook. We need a Twitter. We need a Snapchat, point blank, period. Um, the second point of advice I would give um, is really just um, it's, you know, it's, I was just asked this. It's around a quote I just found by Maya Angelou, which says, um, people will forget what you say. People will forget what you do but people will never forget how you make them feel. Um, and so I think there's a way that we can do that with technology. Um, and we, again, we come from a culture that is very soulful, right? Anything that's a soul is, is typically attributed to us. So I think we have an opportunity to capitalize on that. Um, we do it through music. We do it through art. I really want to really see us do that through tech. Um, so, yeah, that would be it. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So I'd like to thank you, Stephanie, for joining us this evening. Uh, you dropped many, many nuggets for us to, to work with, and I, I will be following, you up, following up with you with regard to the disruption divide and unpacking that for the audiences that, that, that we work with. And at a later date, we'll love to bring you back on BDPAI Radio. So, again, yes, thank absolutely. you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much to all of our guests this evening. We read the third consultant with Deloitte, Candy Castleberry Singleton, founder and chair of Dignity and Respect Campaign, and our last guest, Stephanie Lampkin, chief executive officer of Blendor. I'm Fran McNeil. Thank you to our co-host, Tim Butts, Jayla Cruz, and Ron Story. And thank you also to our studio engineer, Everaldo Gallimore. Extra appreciation to Mr. Wayne Hicks, Executive Director of the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the BDPA iRadio Show. I invite you to listen in the second and fourth Tuesday of every month at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. Our next and final show for 2015 airs Tuesday, December 22nd. 
So join us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash BDPA. BDPA iRadio, linking business, education, and technology. The BDPA iRadio show creates a vibrant communications platform that speaks to all BDPA stakeholders. Hosted by Fran McNeil, sponsored by the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, and the Executive Director, Wayne Hicks. Produced by Everaldo Gallimore. Technical advice by John Melanson. BDPA iRadio broadcasts the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. Join us on blogtalkradio.com backslash BDPA. <laughs>